everyone, and welcome to the Expediters Podcast, where you can hear about front-of-mind topics in the logistics and freight forwarding industry through the lens of a global logistics provider. I'm your host, Chris Parker, and today we are talking about factory relocations. In case you missed my previous talk with Mike Beleza from Tradewind in Episode 7, we talked about the situations and decisions that could lead to a sourcing change, or when a company is looking to change the location or provider of its materials or manufacturing. Sometimes it can be a case where you are just choosing a new partner, but what if your organization owns the machinery or the materials inside that building? What are your options? What needs to be considered? Taking us through the life of a factory relocation is our very own Pat Roach, Vice President of Project and Energy Services. How are you doing, Pat? Very well, Chris. Thank you. Well, Pat, I want to get to know you a little bit more uh, before we start talking about today's topic. What's your career been like before and with Expediters? Well, uh, it started uh, at sea. I went to the New York Maritime College at Fort Schuyler in New York City and mm -hmm. uh, graduated from there. I went to sea and I was a deck officer in a merchant marine and worked on row-row ships and tankers and brake bulk ships. And it was at that point in time where I fell in love with this thing called Project Cargo. And you know, when you're living with the freight for three or four weeks at a time, mm -hmm. you really get intimate with it. And so, you know, I had a couple of work tours on board ship where we loaded some nasty freight, some really nice, really nice, big and heavy stuff. And I and I got to really become intimate with the whole process. So since that point in time, I've been uh, engulfed in this project uh, cargo environment where um, I've taken part in the movement and logistics of uh, of some massive stuff and some really complex freight. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really dynamic industry. And so when I came ashore after my sailing career, um, I, I, I started working uh, from the shoreside standpoint of a manufacturing and engineering company uh, and then moved into the freight forwarding industry, but always focused on this project cargo arena where mm -hmm. I was tasked with uh, with helping customers and helping, you know, at the time and, and for an engineering company, uh, managing our own business of, of moving some some really complex freight from points of manufacture to its final destination. Sure. And it covers all modes of transport. So your air freight, your ocean freight, your you're over the road, you're barging, you're rail. So it's just a very exciting thing. And so um, at Expeditors, uh, I came on board in mid-year 2006 uh, with the intent of starting to build a formal uh, group within the company that's focused on just that, on Project mm -hmm. Cargo. And from there, it's been amazing ever since. We've built, uh, we built our team from a person of an army of one to over 90 folks now around the world that are uh, that are or have a subject matter expertise in, 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 in this dynamic uh, environment. Uh, and we continue to grow and get involved with really interesting um, um, tasks and helping our customers out and bringing value to them whenever they need it. So Project Cargo is now known as Project and Energy Services. How does this energy component play into Project Cargo? Why are they married together? Well, um, the energy, the, the oil and gas, oil and energy industry is has always been a very large part of project forwarding mm -hmm. because of the, the the necessity of moving very large complex equipment for that particular industry. So um, growing up as a project forwarding uh, professional, you find yourself uh, immersed in the oil and gas industry just mm -hmm. because it's it's where a lot of the complex movements are happening and where your skill sets are required. So we made a decision about two and a half years ago to disband the oil and energy vertical mm -hmm. unit 
and take those resources and re- reallocate them over into the project cargo group. Sure. And so that's when we became project and energy services. We, we continue to focus on the oil industry and the energy industry because that's where a lot of our demand is from a skill set perspective. Sure. But we also have a much broader uh, focus on any industry where the customers require our expertise to move complex freight from a point you know, point to point. Now, you've also got a military background, is that correct? Yes, I just retired after 21 years uh, as a Navy intelligence officer. So I, I led a dual life for for quite a quite a while. But um, I'm now have my weekends back and sure. uh, no more deployments, <laughs> no more surprise deployments anywhere. So I'm yeah, very yeah, excited about that. Yeah, yeah, thank you for your service too. Thank you. How does your military experience really tie into um, the work that you do now? Is there anything any skill sets that you're bringing over into um, Project Energy Services? There always is. There, no, no matter what I'm doing, there are bits and pieces of my military career and training that help me with my day-to-day mm-hmm. uh, uh, tasks of what I have in front of me. Um, I, I would say one of the one of the great things is is just uh, being able to handle stress. The ability to handle stress mm-hmm. is something that that I've been able to use to my advantage and, and, and my team's advantage. And many times our customer's advantage and our service provider's advantage as well. You know, just being able to work with people and knowing that we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. So let's take it chunk by chunk and step by step and work together. Mm-hmm. And we'll and through thorough communication and transparency, we'll 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 get to the we'll get to a resolution. So uh, I think just being able to convey that to whoever I'm dealing with, mm-hmm. because of that my abilities that I've kind of built up, my immunities to to frazzlement, or sure, that's, sure, it, that's yeah. probably not, that's probably not a word, but, um, <laughs> it you, know, is my, <laughs> you know, my ability to kind of, kind of navigate through that, I yeah. think is one of the most helpful aspects of my military time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that kind of leads us into this, into our topic, because this is what we're going to be talking about is can be stressful and there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen. It requires, yeah. it sounds like it requires definitely like a, you know, a, a very, uh, steeled, and calm approach and perspective and, and, a, and a really wide understanding of things. So let's talk about factory relocations now. Um, why would an organization want to change their physical location? Uh, and kind of more currently, like what's been a really common reason these days that brings on a relocation? Well, I mean, from a high level, from a, you know, a wave top level, you know, there's, there's many reasons that could, that could come up that would, that would make a company or a manufacturer want to even think about doing a plant relocation. Mm-hmm. Um, in recent years, you know, one of the primary drivers have been trade regulations and, you know, shifting manufacturing from a country with maybe a high tax or duty level to a country with lower levels mm-hmm. of those. Um, more traditionally, you know, we going back five, 10 years ago, um, one of the driving factors to something like this could be labor, the cost of labor, uh, overhead costs, the, you know, geographic proximity to raw materials, um, your geographic proximity to your key customers. Maybe you want to you want to move your your manufacturing location to where you're closer to the end users. Um, but you know, supply chain resilience is is a buzzword that's 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 thrown around quite a bit. And oh yeah, it it, it has an, it it means something in in regards to what we're talking about because mm. um, you know factors like the ease of trade, you know, political stability, uh, and again again closer proximity to your customers. These are all reasons that when you put them all together, it might, it might, it might, it might make sense to, to, you know, to pull a trigger on a, on a plant relocation. Yeah. So when we're looking at a relocation, we're looking to gain something. We're looking to strengthen, you know, the supply chain resilience. What does an organization or manufacturer stand to lose when they're actually choosing to do a relocation? 
Well, there's a, a variety of trade-offs that you need to consider and you can look at um, mm -hmm. when you're looking when you're when you're considering doing something like this. Um, we talked about duties and taxes and, and things like that. You, you may gain more favorable duty treatments in the primary market that you're moving to. Sure. Um, you know, a company's been operating in a certain location for many many years and mm -hmm. manufacturing their product in, the, in a certain area for many years. So over time, you build. Uh, leverage with the uh, local knowledge of how to operate within that particular geographic area. You know, you know, you might have well-established relationships with local trading partners in that area, with the government bodies that that you have to work with in order to do what you do. Mm -hmm. So there's there's a comfort there's a comfort level there, a comfort zone. And um, when you are considering, you know, kind of relocating yourself, you're, you're gonna you might, you might lose that at least for a while. So sure, yeah, <laughs> that's another another area. Um, you know, from a transportation perspective, you know, it's it's our job to really help the customer research more of the tactical items that will play a role in, in making a decision, a go or a no-go decision. Mm -hmm. So so there's always this risk of, you know, all the things that we're going to talk about today that you have to consider when you're when you're you know going to go through with a plant relocation. There's the there's the anything any aspects of the physical plant relocation um, is is going to be it, it holds some risk that could that could prove as uh, an area where a downside or uh, an area of risk. So we're going to get to some of those things uh, in in a bit, but let's talk about timeline. And, and I know this is going to be kind of a and it depends as we're looking at a case by case basis. But what would you say is the typical timeline for a relocation? I, I know that a lot of prep time is really important in order to have a really clean uh, execution. When do the conversations need to start happening, and what does that whole you know end to end timeline look like? You know, there's there's so many variables. It's it's difficult to put a standard timeline on something sure. like this, as you as you pointed out. Right. Um, but if we were if we were to if you were to keep it real vanilla and and wave top esque, you know, I, I think you know <laughs> it could be three to five years uh, wow. of, of no kidding planning and thinking about things right through to the final execution and you know turning the light switch on at the new factory. It could be. Yeah, you know, sure. it, it's there's so many details that really you know, from the planning stage, the design, the procurement, the construction, what, what capital equipment is that is going to have to be moved, you know, decommissioning plant A and then recommissioning plant, you know, the plant B. And mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it's a lot. There's a lot to go down. And like we'll talk about throughout the podcast here, you know, mm -hmm. from that pre-planning through execution, there's a lot of things to consider and mm -hmm. the earlier that you can kind of sit down and start having those conversations, the better. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. We've, we found many, many, many times that the earlier we, the earlier we can kind of come in and, and sit, sit at the table with uh, all the stakeholders, the more beneficial it is to the over, the overall, you know, success to the, to the, the mission. Mm -hmm. Now, three years, I'm a little suspect because I mean, you have your military background. Why can't we just get a whole bunch of, you know, a team of Chinook helicopters to come in and lift the factory from the ground and then and then plop it in its new location? <laughs> I know that's well, not the real process. You, but what is what is the real you, process like here? <laughs> well, you know, when you when when you start when you first start talking about this, there there, you know, you've got to look at you know what the what the manufacturer wants to do. Do they want to just shut down, turn the switch off, and then? And then take everything and move it to the new place, and then turn the switch on. Or do you want to have production parallel operations happening? Right. Yeah. Right, do you right. want to have parallel, you know, scaled down production? You know what they call it. Um, 
so there's lots of considerations and then and then there's the infrastructure and there's the transportation aspect and when there's the cargo that we're going to be moving so mm-hmm. um you know that three to five year timeline you know from that very first meeting where you're talking you know internally at the at the manufacturing company to to the very point in time where you turn the switch on the new manufacturing location you know it's it's real easy to get to that three to five year window yeah absolutely um, it, it, uh, there, there's so many there's so many little nooks and crannies that you have to consider uh, between you know pulling the trigger and, and finalizing that um, it's 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 daunting for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So there are two things that I'm thinking of or that I've read about. There's export handling and import handling. What are those, and how do we kind of uh, how do those kind of fit into this this process? Well, that's the perfect way to think about this, in my opinion, because. If you if you were to divide the operation into two large silos or, or categories, mm-hmm. you know that export handling part that's everything on the origin side. So you're from 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 the first day of, of having discussions about uh, making this move um, through to the port of loading, you've got hundreds of things to consider. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then and then transfer it across the ocean or across the country or wherever you're going. You've got the other side. You've got the the incoming, the inbound, you know, challenges. So when we when we focus on the export side, so that origin point, um, the first thing that comes to mind is having site visits. So doing site walks at that at, at the manufacturing location, the original manufacturing location. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do a you you want to get your people on site uh, with your uh, perhaps maybe your trucking serv- service providers that you're going to bring your trucking partners or your crane and your rigging partners, um, your export crating and packing partners that are going to be uh, helping uh, prepare everything for the rigors of transport. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to come into the you want to come into the we call the site walk, uh, where you uh, you literally walk the site. You come into that point of origin, you walk the factory, you look at how everything is situated. Yeah. You look at the room that you have to do what you're going to have to do. You know, you have to look at turning radius and what, can I bring big trailers in here to, to load out these larger pieces and do I have the, the proper turning radius within the, within this um, plant location? Do I have work areas that I can stage the cargo and, and export packet and prepare oh, it for sure, yeah. for transport? Do I have all that? Well, do I have all that? Do we have room to put cranes in? We have to yeah. pull. If we have to use cranes, there there are different different types of cranes. There's boom boom cranes that will come in as like a mobile boom truck crane. There's overhead gantry cranes for really heavy pieces. Yeah. Um, there's all the work all the work that's going to go into removing this machinery from where it's sitting now mm-hmm. and where it could have been sitting for 50 years uh, <laughs> to prepare it and get it onto a transporter sometime. So right, right. Um, just, just many, many things to worry about, but that site walk is, is, is the, probably the, one of the earliest points in which we start to paint a picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, in, in addition to site walks, we have, we have what we call route surveys. Okay. And this is where you will actually, you will actually determine the proper routing from that point of origin to mm-hmm. your point of loading. So are you going to be loading the ship or loading the airplane or whatnot? And so a route survey will actually determine where you have choke points or areas of concern for bringing larger freight through. It could be, mm-hmm. it could be traffic signals at an intersection. It could be telephone wires. It could be power wires. It could be um, tunnels or bridges or overpasses, underpasses, whatnot. Um, it could be there are restrictions of timing when you're allowed to bring a big piece through. We call mm-hmm. those curfews. 
uh, where you can only do it at certain hours of the day to avoid the major traffic times. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. Lots of, lo- lots of different things. So that is the site survey, the site walk, and the route survey are your two initial things that you're going you're gonna to conduct to start to paint the picture for your operation. And with the help of all your partners, you know, including the customer, um, you're going to have your crane and rigging partners. You're going to have your export packing partners, your trucking mm-hmm. partners. Everyone comes together till we have a meeting of the minds and we all get on the same sheet of music. So how, wow. how we're going to execute. Um, and that, and that goes right up to your, your port of, of loading. And mm-hmm. It could be air freight. It could be air freight. Mostly it could be, it's going to be ocean freight. It could be container loading. You're going to put a lot of this uh, cargo that you're pulling out. You're going to containerize it. Um, and so just a myriad of, of concerns that you have to cover down on. That's so much granularity and so much coordination that has to happen. That's incredible. And I was going to ask this later on, but you, you brought in, you know, all these players that are involved in, you know, the riggers and, and truckers and such that are involved in the move that I see as a very kind of uh, a breadth of parties that need to be involved. What about the depth in terms of, you know, how high up in an, in an organization, whether you're the manufacturer or, or the or a customer that's that's uh, trying to conduct this move for yourselves at what levels of the organization need to be involved in uh, kind of in the execution of these? I mean, you've got your, your players, but who are the coaches and, and the assistant coaches and such? Well, it's every one of them is everyone can be different and, and it depends on the, the company, the manufacturing mm-hmm. company. It could, it, it could depend on the complexity of the, of what you're talking about and the mm-hmm. move you're talking about. Um, but you could, you could be dealing with, especially in the, in the early days, you could be dealing with the C-suite folks right yeah. through their compliance, you know, directors and their managers of compliance to make sure the product that we're looking to move here can, can legally be moved from country A to country B or area A to area B. Yeah. Um, and then, and then from, you know, right down through the, um, production management, you know, the production engineers, the plant managers, right down to the deck plate level of operators at uh, at the plant itself, mm-hmm. um, you, you, you'll still be stakeholders in just about every layer sure. um, because they have to be. They have to. You have to have that that breadth of um, of of a broad a broad stroke approach to make sure that you don't you don't leave anything out. Yeah. And oftentimes, you know, your C level folks might be the ones that say, "Okay, let's do it." You know, you have permission to go forward. And then the compliance folks will say, okay, let's make sure we do this and do this and dot our I's there and cross our T's here mm-hmm. to make sure we're doing this legally. And then the production folks and the plant management folks are like, okay, tactically, how are we going to make this happen? Yeah. We want to do a complete shutdown and then pull everything out and move it over and turn it on again. Or do we want to scale our operations and do things in parallel? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what do we want to do? So to answer your question, it's really a, it, it could be, it could be anything across that spectrum. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't hurt to have or to ask folks if they need to be involved. <laughs> uh, all right. So we've, yes. we've covered the export handling portion. What about import handling? What does that look like? Well, it's, it's kind of the reverse engineering of what we did <laughs> at, the, at the origin side. You know? But you're gonna you're gonna determine where I'm I'm bringing my ship in, for example. Mm-hmm. And you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna do you're gonna do site walk at the new location. You know, is this a greenfield operation where it's nothing right now? Oh, okay. And you're and it's going to be a full thing constructed, or is it brownfield, which which is you have an existing building or an existing structure already? Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to do your site walk to determine those things. You're going to do your site walk to determine okay, how much space do I have to do what I have to do? Mm-hmm. Can my trucks come in? Do I have tur- a good turning radius? Do I have places to put my cranes? Am I going to need cranes inside? Uh, am I going to am I going to need you know super heavy duty um, forklift type machinery? What what am I going to need to 
to, to make, make it so that I can, you know, bring this machinery in and get it to its final resting place. Yeah. Um, you'll have staging areas, you know, for your export, your, your, your crating, you're going to, you're going to uncrate everything and prepare everything. Um, and then, and then, you know, working your way backwards now toward the, the port of entry, you're going to do another route survey. So you're going to determine what's the, what's the optimal route to move all this cargo mm-hmm. uh, to, from the ship discharge point into your actual new factory location. Um, so that'll help you decide, okay, what's my transit time look like? What kind of, what kind of uh, restrictions am I going to experience? Yeah. Um, what's the distances, you know, it, you know, the crow flies, it could be three nautical, three statute miles from your, you know, where you're starting to where you're going, sure. but because of the route, it could be 10 or 15 or 20 miles. Uh, oh, so, <laughs> so it's it, one of the, one of the most important things to consider at that discharge end or the destination end mm-hmm. is the, um, is the schedule of the construction. So what pieces are they going to need and when to, to, to build out the new factory? Oh. So um, there is, there's a sequence that's always, always involved. You, you have pieces coming in and you need to bring, you need to deliver those pieces in the proper sequence to coincide with the construction and mm-hmm. the construction crew and the, and the crane, and the technicians that are actually doing, you know, the actual installation and the startup of the equipment and whatnot. So, you know, you think of it like an, an erector set, you know, you're, you're bringing all this equipment in and it's going to be used to build whatever you're building in a certain mm-hmm. sequence. So the, the delivery sequence becomes huge. So um, that, that, that takes you back now to the port of entry where, you might need a lot of space to stage out your cargo in a certain sequence so that you can you can have it picked up and, and loaded out in the proper proper um, time frame in the, right, in the proper right. um, order. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, if if we're working with a greenfield, as you said, and building a building uh, from the ground up, I mean, you want to be able to take a, advantage of the opportunities of I don't know the roof not being there, and so you can like drop things or uh, drop machinery into there while the roof is gone, and then build around that. Is that is that is that what the, the construction kind of aspect that you're talking about there of just those yep. kinds of things conceptually that's exactly sure. that's exactly correct yes mm-hmm. you know in addition to that um you know i always i always talk to people about our business of moving complex rate you mm-hmm. know the actual physical movement is sometimes the easiest part the more difficult part is the import compliance side of it where your paperwork you know bringing this cargo into this country has to be Perfect. Otherwise, you run into potential delays, right. customs ask about delays, yeah. and whatnot. So, yeah. so that, so that becomes one of the the real large blips on our radar screen as we're bringing cargo in is to ensure we have all of our import compliance paperwork and 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 processes, you know, um, squared away one hundred percent because you could have the you could have the best plan and the best trucking service providers and the best execution operation, you, you, whatever you want to call it all set up and ready to go. But if you, if you don't have your, your import documents squared away, it's going to, it's going to throw a huge wrench in your, in your plan. Absolutely. Because if the documentation is not in order, your assets get held up. And so then construction, if, if, if construction relies on those things arriving on time down to the day or, or the hour, I would imagine, then that can really throw off your schedule. That has just significant impact down the line. So what are the what are the risks are there um, that can be involved? What are the challenges that lie ahead? I mean, the the uh, import side definitely sounds uh, more harrowing <laughs> because of that documentation aspect. But what other challenges are, are at play or can, or can affect a, a successful move? Um, there's, there's many, many, many challenges that you have to keep into consideration. And, sure. and so 
a lot of the a lot of the things that we talked about, like these site walks and these route surveys, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, determining what port of entry and the and the location of that port of entry as compared to your final destination. You know, you, you might want to call infrastructure. You know, you want to you want to make sure you are thinking outside the box with regards to potential hiccups when it comes to the delivery of the cargo. Again, the site and route surveys are just a huge part of that because by by conducting those surveys, you're uncovering all kinds of potential hiccups and, yeah. and potholes and, and whatnot. The risk of damage is always a concern. Mm. Um, and how we address this risk can be can be taken way back to the point of origin. Okay. And oftentimes, you know, uh, when we're dealing with different machinery that a, that a customer has been using for years and years, mm-hmm. um, they have local technicians that have been, you know, repairing the machinery and they know the machinery in and out. They know exactly, they, they, know, the in, they, they know the inside of, of, what, of all the parts and the pieces and all the good stuff that, that make up those, those, those giant pieces of machinery. So yeah. oftentimes we, as part of the, as part of the team, of, uh, of who's going to uh, manage the operation? Uh, some of the, the key stakeholders are these technicians that have been that know the equipment very well. So, right. you know, working with the technicians uh, to determine the best way to remove the machinery and and pack the machinery so that the that the that the cargo can withstand the rigors of ocean transport and trucking mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. That's 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 a team approach, big time. And without having that uh, done very thoroughly that's when damage can become a major issue because if you don't block and brace a certain piece the right way, or if you don't, if you don't hood crate it uh, uh, adequately with shrink wrap and, mm-hmm. and, um, and um, if there's sometimes nitrogen purges are required to maintain uh, um, any, uh, to uh, inhibit any corrosion along, along the way, for yeah, example, yeah. inside of, inside, inside a machine, uh, really important factors that you have to consider. So, the, the idea of damage really starts really early on in the, in the whole process Wow! and uh, having proper uh, boots on ground, as, mm-hmm. as I say, uh, at both ends, uh, ensuring that, you know, the, the, the technician's advice and guidance is being adhered to mm-hmm. 110% uh, all the way through the export crating and packing and the way the cargo is handled and loaded onto trucks and then transported uh, and then loaded onto the vessel. Um, oftentimes we engage with what we call third party survey companies. And these yeah. are, these are folks that just know how to handle cargo. They know, they know, um, how to, how to ensure the cargo is loaded on the ship correctly and, and, and secured on board the ship correctly to withstand the rigors of the ocean transport. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we engage with those folks on both ends to determine that they can and ensure the cargo is being handled correctly all the way through its delivery to the destination. So, so damage, it's, it's a, it's a very broad topic and there's mm-hmm. lots of areas that it can, it can rear its, its head. Um, but there are ways that we work to mitigate the potentiality of damage from that very first time that we touch the piece at origin through the very last time when we're laying that piece into its final, you know, resting place and the yeah. foundation at the, at the destination. Wow. So it's a concern, but there are many, many ways that we can mitigate. And there are many ways that we do mitigate it, and it's a combination of all those that come together uh, to to cover to cover ensure that we're doing this um, 
in a very safe manner. Yeah, and it, it just goes. It just speaks to that that level of planning that needs to happen beforehand, and 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 really sounds like everyone like there's so many parties that need a seat at the table in order to have their voices heard to make sure that you know damage at sea or, or deterioration of equipment while at sea can be accounted for uh, in a very specific way uh, in a way that helps the machine uh, the, the assets I guess uh, travel safely. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. How does distance affect outcomes? I mean, whether you're moving across town, uh, across borders, or, or w- even within a country uh, at, at great distances, what are some of the considerations that really need to be thought about uh, and taken into account, or that, or things that could be that could potentially slow you down a, a good amount? Well, the, the bottom line is when you consider a factory relocation to a, to another country, mm-hmm. there's, there's the longer your transit time, if you will, or the longer the life cycle of, sh- of the shipment activity from that point of origin to its final destination, the longer and more complex that is, Sure, it adds more complexity. It adds more potential time. You know, transit times will be longer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it heightens your risk for things that could happen, um, um, whether it be on the export compliance side or the import compliance side. Um, so it, it has a great effect, but if you plan properly, like we've discussed, and you plan and you think early enough on in the process, you can mitigate, if not eliminate, a lot of a lot of the risk uh, from uh, that you might in, encounter with these longer, um, you know, relocating uh, events, you know, overseas. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last question for you, uh, and, and this is something for anyone who'd be considering a, a relocation is. From your perspective, uh, and and from you know perspective of peers uh, in what you do, uh, what do you feel is one of the most overlooked um, things when conducting a relocation or, or or project moves in general? What gets overlooked the most, whether it's you know pressure from leadership or uh, pressure from uh, partners uh, when you're trying to do an evaluation? Um, yeah, simply, what is one of the most overlooked things? Well, there's a couple that come to mind right off the bat, and the first, especially with regards to uh, factory relocations is the time that's required in my opinion is often mm-hmm. underestimated mm-hmm. Um, you know the proper execution of plant relocation <clears throat> it requires substantial planning and the physical work that will go into every nook and cranny of the process you know can't be rushed or expedited sure sure um, so there's really no no such thing as being involved or talking too early when it comes to a, a factory location because the the earlier you can start having the conversations the better because that'll give you more time to think and rethink and think it over again and and analyze from the very early stages of what you need to cover down on uh, so time is a big thing mm-hmm. uh, the other one is is the um the impactfulness of having boots on ground at both origin and destination mm-hmm. and ideally having boots on ground that are made up of the same team, you know, coming mm-hmm. from the same uh, group because the level of communication and the transparency that happens when you have uh, extra sets of eyes and ears and, 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 and boots on, on the ground um, is invaluable with regards to ensuring things do not fall through the cracks that you can mitigate, that you can communicate, you know, lots of, lots of times the absolute number one tool that we have in our toolkit here is thorough communication. You know, when, you know, bad news is not like wine. It doesn't get better with age. So therefore (laughs) when something happens, it's, it's best to uh, uh, identify it and communicate it immediately. And we find that when you do that, you're successful getting that done. Um, 
the smoother the smoother you can iron out those wrinkles that may happen you know during in a during uh, an initiative yeah absolutely Pat, thank you so much uh, for talking me through this. Uh, There's a lot of great stuff to to learn about. Uh, if people were curious to learn more, want to get into touch with you, learn more about Project Energy Services, where would you direct them? They can always email me at pat.roach at expeditors.com and we can take it from there. We're open 24-7. Cool. So. Perfect. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your time, Pat. Really appreciate it. All right. Great. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you've got questions or want to learn more about today's topic, check out the show notes for more information. And before you go, make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast app you're using so you won't miss the next episode. To learn more about Expeditors, you can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or simply visit us at expeditors.com. Take care, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.